welcome to the Vistage podcast series, another episode. I'm Dave Nelson. I'm a Vistage member since 2003, part of the CEO Group 676 in Pittsburgh, and your podcast host. It is my great pleasure with this series to highlight extraordinary leaders. Today I'm joined by Jim, and just let's make sure I get this right, Karkiti. Is that right, Jim? That is correct, Dave. Thank you. And uh, uh, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Hey, um, you know, I always do some research on people when um, when I'm digging around. And um, when I talk to business leaders, I talk about how important uh, what's out there, uh, you know, in, in, in an Internet search is. Uh, you know, people do their search and they often decide on their vendor before they uh, – make a, uh, you know, the first contact. They've, they've done all their research. And I just have to share a couple things I uh, found about you that I really liked. I think uh, you've got a great online identity. So the uh, the first thing I learned was uh, uh, you have uh, here a statement that says, rather than writing about myself, this is not on your website, by the way. I, I found this in, uh, well, I think there's part of it on LinkedIn and, and so on. Rather than writing about myself, here's what other people say about me. And then there's a quote, and this is from, uh, uh, let's see, um, Mike Green, owner of Integrity Works Coaching. He says, in today's world of high-tech, low-touch, Jim has definitely figured out how to be high-tech, high-touch. Relational, trustworthy, and honorable, Jim is highly proficient in his industry and knows how to connect people in a winning way. And then later I found another quote uh, that was talking about your positive attitude being infectious and your ability to captivate a group. Um, it's, It's very cool to see all the good things that people are saying about you out there. Yeah, well, thank you. you know, I'm humbled to have people say and mention and, and uh, recommend me uh, in such positive terms. Yeah, I, you know, the other thing I found interesting in researching uh, this podcast was that I um, didn't really find a whole lot of stuff, you know, the traditional, you know, here's about Jim on your website, but very prominently there is a short mission, mission statement, uh, disciplined on customer commitment. We work hard to provide positive experiences in the pursuit of enhancing the lives of others, you know, very short and sweet. Um, a much longer three-paragraph statement about corporate social responsibility, citizenship, uh, ethical leadership, environmental stewardship, um, and then uh, diversity and, and a 10-step uh, or 10-point uh, treatise on your commitment to customers. So um, I really like your your focus and what shows up about you online. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Well, so uh, what else, since I didn't do the traditional biography and introduction, <laughs> is, there, is there something else people should know about you uh, or uh, about your company? I don't think I haven't mentioned yet that you're part of JFC Staffing, and there's a bunch of sub-companies under there. So uh, what's your title? And tell us a little bit about you and, and JFC Staffing. Sure. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, well, we, uh, I am right now co-owner and executive vice president over the JFC Staffing Companies. There's three separate companies. They each are specialized in in various fields and industries for recruiting, uh, whether it's direct hire or temporary uh, placement. And how I stumbled into the industry was, uh, by default, I like to kid around. My folks actually started it shortly before I was born. And uh, growing up, my sister and I, who's five years older than me, really wanted nothing to do with this business. Because as I'm sure you can imagine, in the 70s and 80s, husband and wife scrapping together every penny they have to uh, support a business and a family, it wasn't always the best of times. A lot of passionate uh, debates, to say the least, over every dinner uh, table meal. And uh, 
Fast forward to my sophomore year of college, my sister uh, was in medical school, and my folks paid me a visit and asked me what I thought of the family business. And at the time, of course, I'm thinking about declaring my major, so that was a that was a big question to to pitch me. And uh, I said to them, you know, I, I really don't know. And my father wrote on a napkin a pretty big figure with a lot of zeros and said, uh, well, we've been approached by a broker to sell the businesses. And I said, that's great. You know, your marriage survived. We're somewhat normal. Go with it. And fast forward again to about a month later, I come home for Thanksgiving break and I ask them uh, what the, the deal was. And they said they didn't sell. And it wasn't because of me. Their exact words were, it's ingrained in my head, was, we just can't turn our backs on these people. They're like family to us, and they turned our dream into a reality, and that, that's exactly what the experience was. And uh, knowing that they were going to sell the businesses, it was primarily for the books of business, and the uh, the broker's client didn't necessarily want the majority of staff or the branch locations. It was just, again, to get entrenched into our markets with the, the revenue stream. So that hit me like a freight train, and uh, when I got out of college, they brought me in, and I started in a, an entry-level position, and 15 years later, multiple positions later, I'm, I'm at the point where I am today where uh, I'm co-owner, uh, my father is officially retired, and my mother is uh, getting closer and closer to that. Wow, um, what, a, what a great yeah. story, and I, I love the, the, the integrity of that story really uh, uh aligns nicely with all the things I learned about you um, in my background research. Yes, thank you. Consistent through and through. Hey, you're in Vistage. How long have you been in Vistage? Yes, Vistage. I've been in Vistage since 2009, and uh, Vistage was around the time where I had probably the, the lowest of times and, and looking back, the, the best of times. Uh, it was a pivotal moment, obviously, with the economy. Uh, there was a time where employee engagement, which we'll talk about shortly, was uh, very fragile across the nation, let alone in our company. And uh, I was a young leader taking more and more of the vision, visionary approach and, and trying to create uh, an army of loyal, dedicated, committed uh, employees, coworkers, team members. So um, let's talk about uh, what you just alluded to, the communication or employee engagement. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things I saw was your company was uh, chosen as one of the best places to work in the entire state of Pennsylvania. And uh, Pennsylvania is a big state, yes. uh, a lot of companies here, so to be one of the best. And, and I believe that, that uh, as I understand that, uh, uh, we'll call it uh, award or recognition, that's based on employee surveys, not something that uh, you put in for. Right, that's, that's correct. It's 100% uh, based on anonymous feedback from employees. When I say anonymous, it, it makes sure that it's entirely open. Um, that way they know that if they say something that is uh, a constructive criticism, that it, it would never be tied back to them. Not that it would be here, but uh, that's their process so they can get uh, as maximum participation from the embodiment, the employees of any organization. And it's interesting you say that, Dave, because while that's a wonderful recognition and we're very proud of it, one of the things I'll point out in the, the podcast today is that is just the tip of the iceberg. One of the things that's intertwined with being a best place to work is the, the, the fact that our employees are happy. They're in a good place. And when you have happy employees, you have happy customers. And when I say that, we've been fortunate and blessed that for the past four years, we've been named to Innovera's Best of Staffing Client List. They're kind of the Gallup organization of our industry. And uh, less than 2% of our industry in North America, including Canada, gets named to this list. And it's, it's basically um, a polling of customers in the nation 
asking them the net promoter score or the net promoter question, I should say, and is how likely are you to refer this, this staffing recruiting firm to a friend or colleague? And um, again, less than 2% of our industry gets on, named to that list, and we've been fortunate to be on it four years straight now, and, and that's a direct linkage to our, our stepping up the game with the employee engagement and our communication across the organizations. Since you brought up Net Promoter Score, MPS, let me just say a, a little bit more about it for those people who have never heard of it, because a lot of Vistage companies uh, use it as a way to measure customer satisfaction. It's, you know, one simple question. Sometimes there's a second follow-on question, but the point is it's short and sweet. And uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely are you to be to recommend our services to an associate? And uh, somebody who's a 9 or a 10, and by the way, <laughs> correct me if I get any of this wrong, but if somebody rates you a 9 or 10, they are what's called a promoter. If they rate you 6 or below, they're what we call a detractor. And you take the net of those two numbers, promoters minus detractors, and that's a uh, great measure of customer satisfaction. Yes, that is, that's absolutely correct. Uh, and, and you're in the top 2%, which, uh, you know, I'm guessing that happy employees and happy customers are highly correlated. Absolutely. Yeah, how cool. Well, so let's talk about some of how you make that happen. Uh, let's talk about communication first. Um, you know, most, most of the time when uh, somebody asks uh, the random employee in the random company about communication, the, uh, the random answer, the not, the not random answer is never enough for management. So what do you do? Right, right, I, exactly. Before I start with that, just to uh, pause and go back a second, I mentioned the Gallup organization, and I'm sure many people listening to this are familiar with their annual State of the American Workforce poll. And uh, it has largely not changed since, I think, 2001 or 2000 when they started doing this. And uh, the most recent polling data showed that 70% of what they call the American workers are not engaged, which in my mind is it's epidemic. Um, another interesting fact that correlates with it that actually I learned from a Vistage speaker months ago is uh, a 2012 Towers Watson Global Workforce Study. That found that 52% of employees either do not trust or unsure their level of trust in leaders. I mean, that is, again, awful. Um, it might be good for our industry because we're in recruiting and talent management, but uh, certainly we don't wish that upon anyone, especially ourselves here. Um, that is when, you know, statistics and data like that correlated with our own internal experiences throughout our journey over the years really had us look in the mirror and figure out what is the best way to harness employee engagement. How can we take our employees, or any employee for that matter, and move them from being compliant, they'll say what you ask them to do, to committed. Well, they'll go the extra mile. They'll put in the extra hours. They'll take it beyond the scope of where you had originally intended or envisioned. Um, and one of the big uh, pillars of that was the, the coaching conversation role uh, and how that how that is incorporated with anybody that's in any level of management within our organizations. We train them extensively to become a head coach for their employees. One of the go ahead. I'm sorry. No, keep going, keep going. I do want to <clears throat> emphasize a point, but let's let's keep rolling here. We'll come okay. back around to it. You can tell me to pause at any moment. <laughs> I get a little <laughs> no, this excited is with great. this. So I can talk for Jim, I'm loving it. I'm loving um, it. What the coaching philosophy is, you know, it sounds very simple, and a lot of 20th century uh, successful management will say it's wishy-washy and kumbaya, but it's really not. And it's very, it's easy in concept, but hard to apply and master. In fact, I would say it's a journey. There's no end or stop. Uh, you're always learning and adding to it. And being a coach is different than managing. There's a time to manage, but there's more and more time now in the 21st century 
that you need to coach your talent, your employees. And the hardest thing with coaching is as managers and as leaders, we really have to learn to take that chief problem solver hat off. And we got to listen, truly listen the answers out of our employees. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, just um, uh, backing up a second, I wanted to point out to folks, uh, I've heard that same stat from uh, Gallup. Imagine if you're sort of the typical U.S. corporation or business and you've got 30% of your employees fully engaged. The opportunity, if you could move that needle a little bit, I mean, let's let's just talk 40%, not even saying 70 or 80 or 90 or 100%. Sounds like a, a heck of an opportunity to improve business profitability. Yeah, absolutely. I know uh, Gallup had estimated in the last poll that the – Employers uh, lose anywhere between, I think, $450 billion to $600 billion each year in lost productivity because of a disengaged uh, workforce. And uh, So tell me ahead. a little bit about what it would be like uh, around your company. Um, I mean, just take me inside for a minute sure. and, and let me see a, a you know, visual of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the first step was we had to train uh, all of our management staff to really learn the management, or excuse me, the coaching management philosophy. And then once that was established, the real fun began because then we tasked and challenged and educated and trained our frontline staff, our middle line staff, to coach up because it's not just coaching down. When you really have the marriage of coaching up and coaching down, that's when your organization is is in a you know, hyper growth mode, uh, and it's a fulfilling growth mode. You're doing it with, you know, it's a healthy growth mode because people are really, really engaged and they're happy, you know, it, with the work that they're doing. Um, you know, the first question was, why coach? And and a lot of people, when we rolled it out, thought, okay, what is this all about? And we had to really help them see the forest through the trees. We had to explain to them that coaching is about asking questions. Uh, my mom used to tell me when I was a little kid, you know, there's a reason you have two ears and one mouth. You need to listen twice as much. And I always think back on that and I laugh because how true it is today with our philosophy here within our organizations. You know, coaching is really about asking questions so the employee can go down a journey in their own head and really think internally and come up with solutions that are sometimes better than the ones we as management would have provided them in the, you know, if we were to answer their questions and their, solve their problems right away. Um, you know, when you walk around our offices, a lot of people here, they, we talk about the neuroscience behind management, behind sales. Uh, and basically, it comes down to a real core, simple issue. And that is, our brains are wired to make the first reaction to any event an emotional one. We really, I would say, don't have much or any control over this part of the process. Where we usually step in it as managers, as individuals, even in our personal lives, is where we have complete control, and that is we control the thoughts that follow any emotion. We have a great deal of say in how we react to those feelings, and our reaction is no longer an internal emotion. It's put out to the world. You know, it affects your employees. It affects the people you're managing. In personal lives, it affects relationships, marriages, uh, relationships with your children. So, you know, in life, when we try to control as many things as possible, especially managers, because we, you know, we're excited. We're a manager. You know, we earn this spot, but uh, Again, we, we can't control all the things we believe initially. We need to uh, we need to understand that to increase the chance of success, there's there's really a core truth to the matter, and there's there's only one thing we have real control over, and that's ourselves. And I break it down even to our actions, our reactions, or to situations and people, as well as our thoughts, beliefs, and attitudes in any given circumstance. 
Is your team, I'm curious, all together in uh, one place, or are they distributed? And I'm getting back to communication. I'm wondering sure. how you do that, how much is in person, how much do you rely mm -hmm. on technology? Um, because, uh, again, you were described as high-tech and high-touch. So mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about where is the team and then uh, what uh, what's the communication strategy? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, one of the things with coaching and employee engagement is high-touch. You know, what, what – uh, was great way back in the day is still great today. Sometimes the technology can blind us to getting back to the basics and actually having that high-touch, one-on-one personal relationship. So within our organization, and, and yes, you brought up the point about where our staff are located, we do have staff sprawled out between multiple locations. So there are times when we have to leverage the, the technology, and certainly it's an enhancer to intertwine it with this philosophy. But the coaching experiment, or I guess exercise, is for each manager to, to really schedule, I mean, literally on an Outlook calendar and invite each employee for a half-hour-to-hour session at least once a month where they actually get to see each other visually. Sometimes they're sitting in front of each other in an office. Sometimes it's via Skype. But it's really, to make it personal, you have to have that visual so the eye contact and that you can read each other's um, demeanor because those are all signals in, into digging deeper with the coaching questions. Um, so, again, our, our management here, they'll schedule routine coaching sessions with anybody that reports up to them, and uh, it's a domino effect. Sounds like a great uh, practice so that people aren't waiting for that uh, once-a-year feedback on <laughs> right. their performance. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, when we come to annual reviews, I remember the days before we did the one-to-one -one coaching within our organizations, and annual reviews, not only were they less impactful or more surprising, rather, for the, the employee being reviewed, but they were also very much a, a point of anxiety and panic for management because it comes to that moment where they have to face reality that, wow, I really dropped the ball and I haven't communicated all this, and now it's going to come out of left field, and it might really crush Johnny or Mary, and how will I you know, regain their commitment and loyalty? So, again, the one-on-one, -on -one, the fluid of communication as it goes across the organizations is just, it's been phenomenal that our annual reviews are almost a celebration because there's no surprises. It's almost reassurance of things and looking into the future and setting resetting our vision. Love it, love it, love it. Because anyone who, who relies on the annual review essentially has tolerated potentially 12 months of <laughs> performance that wasn't where you exactly. wanted it to be. So um, I like your, your process of more continuous uh, coaching and feedback. You mentioned, uh, you know, some of the things you learned from a Vistage speaker, and and for those people not familiar with uh, Vistage, one of the uh, real powerful uh, parts of being a, a participant, I say this myself, having been in since 2003, is uh, eight months out of 12, typically you get to see an expert speaker for three to four hours on some really important topic, um, usually business, but sometimes it's life, sometimes it's health. Uh, so um, just tell me a little bit about some of the most valuable things you've accomplished as a result of being in Vistage, what must be about six years now. Yeah, well, Vistage, I couldn't, couldn't be happier with my experience uh, as a member of Vistage. Anything from small things as it relates to this topic, such as I learned from one Vistage speaker, to, to make it personal, to as the leader of the companies, Write, draft a letter, and don't make it about goals and budgets and numbers, but make it about the vision and the accomplishments, and literally mail that letter out to every single employee in the organizations to their home address. And I learned, why would I do that, I thought, initially, but his explanation, which I now realize from doing it for several years, is that they'll read that letter at home, and then they'll put it down. 
And then their husband or wife or their children will walk by the kitchen table and they'll say, what is this? And they'll read it. So by getting their families involved in what your employee does at work, they are the second, if not first, most uh, center of their universe or where they spend the most of their time outside of work. So by getting them to be excited about where mom or dad works, it makes them much more committed. It's another layer to the building block. And again, with Vistage, I mean, that's a small thing that's gone a long way for myself personally and our companies. But there's also the grand scheme things, you know, that we have some great strategic, long-term, visionary-type ideas and nuggets of wisdom that are planted in our in our heads when we get to witness these speakers, which really just gets the ball rolling, at least for myself personally. It's almost it's the snowball effect. You get an idea, and you're not going to make it theirs exactly your own, but it sparks your own innovation creativity, and you take bits and pieces of what you've learned from Vistage, and then you tailor it and customize it, and it becomes your own, and all of a sudden your company's growing, your staff are happy, things are thriving. It's amazing what Vistage is offered myself, and not just me, but our entire organization and our family of employees. So what has surprised you the most about being in charge, or what do you consider the hardest thing about being a leader? That's a great question. You know, I learned by trial and fire. I was not the best leader when I was an entry-level manager. I was one of uh, the examples I alluded to earlier that, wow, I'm a manager. i got to be the know-it-all. I need to be able to pr- solve every problem. i got to be Mr. Fix-It. And really, that was the, the wrong way to go about things. You know, you alienate people. You trump their, their, their autonomy, and they feel less empowered. And I learned quickly, thank goodness, within probably the first year of my management uh, experience in my first role, that you really need to sit down and you need to listen to people and you need to make it personal. I know in the old days, especially watching my folks run the businesses, don't get personal. You know, separate personal life from professional life. But, you know, in today's day and age with technology and everything, I mean, we really have to make it personal. If you don't, your employees will feel like they're just a number and they will not trust you as a leader or the management. So I learned a long time ago and I just built upon it through Vistage and other avenues to, to really be engaged with everyone and it doesn't just transcend with my employees it's with our customers it's outside of life with my in my marriage i mean it's just been an excellent journey and i'm I'm very blessed and fortunate looking back to uh, have learned even if it was trial by fire but at least learn from my mistakes and now be on the right course the right path you know i'm sort of smiling as i listen to you because i think if more people had uh, gone through that same journey with those same realizations this nice little uh, dilbert daily desktop calendar that i keep here would be it would be a lot less uh, popular it wouldn't resonate with people but right uh, you know i also like the fact you alluded to earlier that uh, often the best information for making decisions is at the um you know at the at the line level uh, the people are right there doing the direct interface with the um, the customer. And so sometimes asking questions is the key. It absolutely is. I mean, some great reasons to ask questions, and I truly believe this, is most of the information, if not all of it at times, is with, with the employee, the coachee. And by asking questions, it's creating buy-in. They're buying into the, to the vision. They're buying into the problem-solving process. And asking them empowers them. They feel, and I, I've been a product of it myself with a, a professional coach, that asking, it makes me empowered to think, all right, they are listening to me. They care what my input is. And it creates leadership capacity because when you just solve everyone's problems, they're going to keep coming back to you. You're going to get the same people coming back to you with the same problems because you created a bad habit. And you can't blame them. You know, it's the old saying, 
you know, fish for them versus teach them how to fish. And mm -hmm. you don't want to be fishing for them. You want to teach them how to fish. So asking questions really does that. It creates that leadership capacity. And asking questions creates trust. You know, if you're truly asking questions, people trust you. Do you have a particular mantra in your professional life? Particular mantra? Ooh, that's or, a gotcha question. Yeah, mm. or what What do you always <laughs> – well, what, if I talk to people who yeah. work with you, Jim, what would they say? Oh, Jim's always saying this. What's uh, – What's, what's that theme or mantra? Probably a two- or three-sentence mantra, and that is, in life, we have little to no control over events that impact our moods, our emotions. Our emotions are internal, though. They get us furious. But it's only our burden until we choose to react to them. And the choose or the, the decision on how we react, unlike our emotions, that's 100% within our control. So where we get in trouble is in failing to react in a proper way or to think on things before answering. And that's been my mantra is really, I guess nowadays it's really called emotional intelligence. And I didn't know what emotional intelligence was when I made that my mantra or followed that belief. But truly it is about having self-awareness and awareness of others. So you no longer put your foot in your mouth or you don't walk away from a conversation and say, man, I really wish I could have taken back that one sentence. You know, too often we go into a conversation intent to win the battle, and by winning the battle, we lose the war. So if I have an employee that I trump and I win and get my point across, even if I was 100% right or more right than the employee, I've lost the war. I've won the battle, but they're walking out of here, shoulders slump, head down, maybe cursing me out in their mind, but probably looking for another career path. I love the fact you brought up emotional intelligence or what um, some people call EQ. Right. Uh, one of the speakers I've really loved in the Vistage Network is Heather Anderson, who, who has such a great program on EQ. Hey, one last question for you, Jim, and that's uh, have you had a great mentor along the way? And, and what was it about that mentor that uh, made that uh, him or her great for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had several great mentors along the way, but probably the most pivotal mentor I had was, you know, around the time of the recession when business was tough, employee morale was down. I was still a younger leader, uh, not well equipped to, to take on three organizations comprised of 70 employees with thousands of contract employees out there. They're all dependent on our decisions. And uh, I happened by chance to be referred to a business coach, an executive business coach. And uh, he really helped me see things. He helped me do the you know, old look in the mirror and check my reflection and accept my blemishes, identify them, and then work on them because it's like drowning. You know, if we, if we identify that we're drowning, it's not good enough unless we start trying to swim. And uh, I think at that point in time, I identified that I was drowning, but I, I didn't take, you know, upon myself to control my, my actions and, and learn to swim. So he was definitely a great mentor. And ironically, he was the one who said, get into Vistage. You have to do it. It'll grow you immensely. So... One led to the other, and uh, it's been a great path. Wow. Well, Jim Carkiti, again, I think I said that right. Uh, you did. I, I hope yes. of, of JFC Staffing. Thanks so much for joining us on the uh, podcast today. It was really interesting hearing your thoughts and and story about how you've built one of the best places to work in Pennsylvania. Thank you, Dave. It's been a pleasure, and I'm I'm honored and humbled to be part of this. Well, folks, if you're interested in learning more about Vistage, please check out Vistage.com. That's V-I-S-T-A-G-E.com. It's a great way to take your business to the next level. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vistage podcast series. We hope it helps you accelerate your business.